Crystal Stokes here with Get Stoked, a podcast with real and raw conversations with leaders of all types, business owners, managers, executives, and more. Get stoked by their honest and insightful stories and key takeaways that you can use to improve your leadership abilities. Now, if you find this podcast helpful, please subscribe and share it with others. Your support and feedback really makes a difference. Now, without further ado, let's dive in. Everybody, Crystal Stokes here, and I am so excited to introduce Josh Weissman. He is the founder of Flourish Veterinary Consulting. He studied positive psychology, and basically he developed a model with these four Ps, and he applies it to veterinary professionals to help them flourish. So we're going to be talking about those four Ps today. And Josh, how about if you introduce yourself a little more fully? Ah, happy to do so. Thanks, Crystal. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited to chat with you about these things. Um, so yeah, Josh Weissman started this uh, consulting firm, Flourish Veterinary Consulting, about five years ago. I've been in the veterinary space since the late 90s. I can't believe that I'm old enough to say that I've done vet med for more than half of my life. Like what in the world is happening there? Um, I sort of filled a whole bunch of different roles. The last uh, chapter of which was uh, hospital owner and, and practice manager, a couple small animal practices. Um, and I went through a, a pretty epic bout of uh, kind of depression level burnout. And uh, that was a pretty shocking experience to find myself in. And it made me realize kind of a few different things about the vet profession. But um, I, I ended up stepping away for a little while and sort of recollecting myself. And I, I couldn't stay away from veterinary medicine. So <laughs> came back in this new iteration, uh, created this consulting firm with basically the sole purpose of kind of taking the science of human thriving. You know, what, what does science tell us actually contributes to that experience in an organizational context and translating that in the way that hopefully veterinary professionals can use so that together we can cultivate these environments in which professional and personal thriving is actually possible at work. I, I kind of, I have this crazy idea that, uh, you know, we spend so much time at work and doing work related things, whether we're physically there or not, uh, you know, work should maybe actually contribute to our sense of well-being and thriving in our life. So I'm, I'm kind of on a mission to help us do that in the veterinary space. What a novel idea. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. We spend, you think about the pie chart of our life, you yeah. know, and how big of a chunk of that pie chart is spent working or thinking about work. I can't tell you how yeah. many, you know, people in the veterinary field I speak to who say, you know, when I'm at home, I'm thinking about that patient or that client yeah. or yeah, my yeah. team, you know, we take it home with us. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we could feel a sense of well-being in that giant pie chart chunk? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd really love for us to get sort of beyond it. Listen, I think working in the veterinary space is really hard. It's always been hard. It's always going to be difficult work. It's super challenging. And certainly for some of us, myself included, you know, we go through these experiences where our work can actually deplete us in some way or maybe even cause a bit of harm. I mean, I think it, unequivocally work should not cause harm, but I'd really love for us to get sort of beyond this like surviving work kind of thing, you know, getting through the work week to get to the weekend kind of mentality. Why can't work actually contribute to all of the joys and fulfillment in life? And I, I think if any career can do that, veterinary medicine should be able to. And, and I think that the science can really help us get there. 
if I agree with you, that's why we are here doing this work together because yes. we've seen it work. And when you have been on the other side of it, you know, both sides, you've had the dark side of feeling burned out and exhausted. And now, you know, the other side of what it takes to thrive. The great thing about it is there's it's evidence-based. We have scientific, uh, studies and models that we can apply. It's just that some of us have not been introduced to those yet. And that's yeah. why people like us exist to just introduce you to these concepts. And that's what we're going to do today. By the way, I see some little ears peeking up. Who's yeah, this? This would be, this would be Kidders. <laughs> uh, Kidders never misses an opportunity to be involved in a Zoom call. Uh, so <laughs> there she is <laughs> purring away. Um, her, her butt is partially on the keyboard. So we'll see, you know, kind of how camera <laughs> mutes and all that kind of stuff goes today. We'll blame it all on the cat. Always on the cat. <laughs> awesome. So Josh, where should we dive in? Do you want to introduce uh, the four Ps? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So, um, you know, when, when I conceived of this, uh, of this idea, uh, this consulting firm, I ended up, I went back to school and um, went through a master's program and applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. And when, when you go, <laughs> I always kind of share this with people and, and, and folks who have been involved in positive psychology, like you, Crystal, you'll, this will, I'm sure this will resonate. You, you get pulled to this area of study and certainly, you know, it's in, it, it's kind of energizing to know that it's evidence-based. Um, as Kim Cameron, Dr. Kim Cameron from the University of Michigan s sometimes talks about it. It's, it's grandma's advice with empirical evidence. Um, and so it's nice to kind of put those two things together. Um, and then you, you start getting into the science and man, you're pulled in 5,000 different directions. There's so many different rabbit holes and different things that, that you can get different directions. You can get pulled in different areas of study. You know, you, you think it's just positive psychology, but then it turns out to be, you know, uh, the science of human motivation and change management and appreciative inquiry and like all these other things. And you're like, oh my God, I need to learn all the things. So, so I went through that phase <laughs> and, and, and in doing that, it, some themes kept emerging and it, it, to me, it seemed like there were kind of four common characteristics that seemed to really tie into this idea of workplace thriving and, and actual, you know, professional fulfillment. And so those four things, I, I condensed them down to, I, I will admit it's, it's somewhat forced, but, uh, but they, I, I condense them down to four phrases or words that I'll start with the letter P. So those are psychological safety, purpose, past and partnership. Um, and I'm certainly happy to, you know, happy to explain a bit more about each one of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing that the one that really stands out to me, I think, you know, the purpose, path and partnership, when I describe those, most people kind of get that really quickly. Psychological safety is a particularly fun one for me. It was not a concept that I knew anything about prior to five years ago. And understanding it now, I can see how just utterly essential it is to the success of any team. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't just mean success in outcomes, you know, some of those tangible objective outcomes that we're after, performance metrics, things like that, but just their ability to actually function well together and to uh, connect in meaningful ways and to achieve the kind of meaningful purpose and sense of mattering that that contributes to our sense of thriving in the absence of psychological safety it's not possible so when you said like one of the cool things about the work that that you and i both do is we get to introduce these kinds of things i gotta tell you i stand up in front of audiences all the time last week i was in front of a group uh, uh doing a keynote in chicago probably three, 400 people in the room from the veterinary and animal welfare space. And this happens 
every single time I get to the concept of psychological safety and I ask, raise your hands if you've heard that phrase before today. And in this room of hundreds of people, two people raise their hands. So that's really exciting because we get to bring this to them in a way that resonates and in a way that they can use. So that's why I always start with the psychological safety. I, uh, I, I get like the tingles with the excitement about this topic. Um, our paths are, are very similar, but also a little different where you studied positive psychology and I studied uh, counseling and clinical psychology. Um, so mine was focused, uh, you know, as psychotherapist and um, diagnosing and tra- treating mental, um, m- mental health issues. And on the positive psychology side, I think it looks at it just from a different lens. Uh, but in my postgraduate training, I love learning more about positive psychology and this whole thing around um, psychological safety. I find it to be fundamental to the beginning of the process. It's like the foundation upon which everything is built. And it's yeah. Amy, is it, is it Amy Edmondson? Is that her Edmondson. name? Yes, correct. From Harvard. So she's yep. like the woman who, who has made this, she just shouts it from the rooftops and she makes yes. it so accessible to everybody. There's yes. a survey that you can take. Um, I was just doing a workshop on this. Was it last week or the week before? I think it was last week with one of the veterinary hospitals that I work with. And it's neat to see the transformation within a two hour window of what is psychological safety to yeah. the end of the workshop. Once we've gone through the module and you're like, Oh, you see people feeling looser, yeah. safer. So why don't you tell us for those of us who have no idea what the heck this is that we're <laughs> just over here getting all googly eyed about what is psychological safety and why is it so important? Yeah. So psychological safety, kind of the, the semi-academic definition of it is um, psychological safety is a belief within its environment that the team is safe for what we call interpersonal risk taking. So the way that I, you know, kind of describe it is... Um, what other people think of us matters, you know, we, especially in a work environment, um, yeah, the cat, she's right up in my grill. Um, what, what other people think of us matters. We, we want to make a good impression. Nobody wakes up. Nobody, literally, there's not a person in this profession that wakes up in the morning that thinks, man, I cannot wait to get to the hospital today to completely screw up everything I do, contribute to the failure of the team around me and look like an incompetent fool. Nobody thinks that we all, if you're asked, would report the exact opposite. Every single person that, that works in the veterinary space, comes into the practice on some level, whether it's conscious or subconscious, hoping that we look competent, capable, and a positive contributing member of the team. That, that's what we want because when we appear that way to others and we get feedback that shows that, that contributes to our sense of belongingness, that contributes to our sense of connectedness, that makes us feel as if we matter. And these are all essential elements for thriving. So, so psychological safety, like you said, it's at the foundation of that. If we are overwhelmingly concerned with what others think of us, mm-hmm. we're in a protective state that, you know, it's, it's a, there's a narrowing effect. It's sort of like a mild state of anxiety at work all day. Ooh, better be careful about who sees what. You know, don't speak up because you don't know how people will respond. Oh, man, I kind of screwed that up, but nobody was watching. Ah, it's not that big a deal. I'll figure it out. Gosh, I've got a question. You know, we just talked about this new policy of how we're scheduling new clients, but I don't really get it. But everybody else seems to get it. I'll just, I'll just stumble my way through, right? That's what happens when psychological safety is not present. I think the, the best way that I can think of it uh, to describe it in terms of, I like to use metaphors a lot. Um, I, 
you know, if we think of like the workspace kind of like a garden, psychological safety is the fertile soil in which the garden grows. If you don't have good soil to start, it's almost impossible to grow a highly effective, high performing team. And so that's what psychological safety is. I think one of the coolest things, I'd be willing to bet that you have experiences like this with the teams that you work with. Oftentimes, I'll I mean, obviously, we spend a lot more time than three minutes describing the concept, but uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll spend time with a team or with an audience or with a group or with somebody in leadership or whatever, and I'll describe some of the science behind this, where it came from, why it, you know, what it drives them and so forth. And a lot of times the response that I'll get is something akin to, that makes total sense. I've just never had the language to describe it before. And that's really what we're doing is we're giving language to a concept that people know. So... To make it a little bit more tangible, um, especially for decision makers and people in leadership, psychological safety has a direct correlation to all sorts of performance outcomes that we're after. It is uh, a direct influence to things like creativity and innovation. It impacts both team and organizational resiliency. We know that it's tied to things like retention. People stay in environments that are psychologically safe. They leave environments that are not. Uh, but there's some I mean, real tangible, powerful data behind that. Psychological safety correlates to things like medical errors, uh, which is really important in our profession. Um, for instance, you know, uh, using some of the research from Gallup, um, organi- the, the average organization uh, will have about a three in 10 response rate uh, in the positive to, you know, do, do you feel like you have a voice on your team? Do you feel like your opinion matters to the people around you? That's one sort of way to get a pulse check on the presence of psychological safety. Organizations that have doubled that rate, so six in 10 instead of three in 10, which is still not wonderful. I mean, 40% of the team that feel like, I don't know why I'd say anything. No one cares what I have to say, mm-hmm. uh, but whatever. So we've doubled it, doubled it from the average. 40% fewer medical errors in those in, in uh, healthcare organizations that have those in, improvements. So this is an essential item, both on the interpersonal, you know, psychological side of things and on just what we're trying to get done, <laughs> you know, in our hospitals. That it, you, you cannot reach the peak potential of a team if you're not actively, continually nurturing psychological safety. Agreed. And I'm thinking to, to throw more into this, if, if a person is listening to this wondering, how do I know if we have psychological safety or not? I would say some red flags that would point to the fact that you don't have it would be just that typical kind of toxic work culture that we envision where people feel like they're walking on eggshells. Uh, generally, there's this, this energy of anxiety and fear. Yep. People don't have each other's back. There can be triangulation or gossiping, bullying. Yeah. Any of those yeah. things that are going on, or you notice a lack of performance where people feel apathetic. Why bother trying? Mm-hmm. All those are, are obvious indicators that psychological safety has not been built. Whereas with people, when they come in and they feel at ease and they can show up as themselves, they can advocate for themselves and be heard. Yeah. You know, it changes the, the whole culture starts to shift. So I think that, um, if you can speak to that at all, too, anything that you see that may be indicators that psychological safety is lacking on a team? Yeah, I think 
Crystal, I think you're spot on. I mean, you know, certainly uh, there are two things that I heard from you at least that are very clear indicators to me that there is probably a psychological safety problem. Number one, when you have that truly toxic environment, when you can walk in and you can kind of feel the thickness in the air of that team and how they are not really getting along, that's absolutely an indication that there are conversations that need to happen here that are just not happening productively. Um, You also talked about, um, you use the word like triangulation, um, to me, I heard a little bit of siloing. That can also be an indication. You know, it's such a common thing you hear in, in vet hospitals, that front versus the back thing. Oh, right? yeah. Or departments, too, like my yes. department versus their department. Yeah, totally, totally. Right. Like, uh, you know, uh, surgery versus ER. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. And that's typically an indication that on a global level, psychological safety is probably lacking a bit. Um, that's siloing. Interestingly enough, you know, when I talk about this in depth with people, some of the pushback that you sometimes get, uh, you've probably run into this, too. That word safety feels very soft and it, you know, it, it can come across as this like kind of woo woo kind of thing. And people are <laughs> like, so, so what you're saying is, is we just need to like build an environment where everybody's happy and BFFs. And actually, no, that in some ways is also antithesis to psychological safety. If you have an environment where there's no productive tension, where there's no like intellectual drive to improve, to get better, where people are not actually having those conversations around, you know, Crystal, like I, I know that you're capable of so much. I see the potential you have and, and I believe in you. I, I want to see you get there. And you know what? Actually, recently you've been falling a bit short. Can we talk about what's holding you back and how we can help you get past that? that that's a conversation that has to happen, has to happen and can't happen in the absence of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get this like false sense of everything is like hunky dory and nice and cozy in here. And that's in some ways a form of apathy that's not really conducive to mm-hmm. uh, psychological safety. So, so it, 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 I mean, it, it's sort of like both ends of the spectrum. There should be some butting of heads, yeah. but productive butting of heads. Yeah. That's all driven to a common purpose of we are here to get something done. We have a higher purpose to our work and we're, by golly, we're going to get there together, whatever mm-hmm. it takes. Um, I think Brene Brown has probably one of the best statements for this that I've ever heard. In a psychologically safe environment, you've got a collective belief in which it is better to get it right than to be right. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, that's totally exactly what it is. Nailing it. I Yes, I love that you're pointing this out because I remember with uh, Amy Edmondson, something she says when she introduces it is, this is not a license to whine. Like you yeah. think, oh, because you're safe, you can just complain all the time and get yeah. your way. You won't always get your way. You can bring your concerns up and say, hey, for me in this work environment, XYZ isn't working or I wanted to suggest something. But your suggestion may not be taken. It's about yeah. facilitating that open dialogue and yeah. working through things together. Anyway, you know, you can tell we could just do a whole episode on this for (laughs) sure, but I want to make sure that we have time for the other P's. I think it it makes sense that we spent a little bit longer on this one than the others, because this is the foundation upon which these others are are built. So how about if we move into, was it purpose next? Yeah. So purpose is the next one. Um, So for me, I think of purpose uh, less on on the word itself, purpose, and more about uh, the lived experience thereof. So, you know, I, purpose is um, having a life of purpose is, is critically important. So most of what I 
most of what I talked about in the four P's is really built kind of on the foundation of self-determination theory. And so this in particular is pulling from that, that, that middle element of connectedness, you know, having some sense of contribution, that there is a why behind this. I know that I'm doing this for a reason that resonates with me, those kinds of things. That's, that's essential to, to even have the opportunity to experience vitalized motivation and, and subjective vitality. So, so, you know, that, I think that's a given. And the thing is, the truth is that we know that the work that we do in vet med is incredibly purposeful work, right? That lives up here in our heads. We know that. There's not a person on this planet who would say that veterinary medicine does not have a positive, worthwhile purpose to it. I've got a, a friend. He's, um, he's a professor, a fellow at the uh, Colorado State University Center for Purpose and Meaning. His name is Zach Mercurio, um, M-E-R-C-U-R-I-O. Zach is an absolute genius. This is what he does for a living. He researches the experience of purpose, meaningfulness, and mattering, uh, specifically in the workplace. Um, and he sort of talks, the way that he talks about purpose, I sort of understand is like, a, it's a cognitive construct. It's something we know that it's there. But when we think of psychological experiences, we don't really think of our head, we think more of our heart, right? And so that's a meaningfulness lives here, it lives in the chest, it lives in the heart, it's that feeling that centered kind of thing. Meaningfulness is purpose come to life. And the thing is, is you can do deeply purposeful work, and never actually experience the meaningfulness of it. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's often what happens in our profession. The why and the what are so closely intertwined, and that pulls us to come do the work. But then as we do the work, day after day after day after day, the what starts to take over, and a gap starts to open up between the why and the what. Mm-hmm. And the what it, you know, the why just becomes what we do each and every day, and you become almost inoculated to it. So we need meaningfulness to get that experience back. So meaningfulness is is doing something that has that feels purposeful, but where you can see the positive, impactful contribution thereof. You know, where you're you're doing purposeful work, and then you actually get to see sort of like a little bit of the significance of it. You know, a client like. An example I'll often use when I describe this, you, everybody's had a day like this in, in, in a veterinary hospital. You walk into the, the hospital and it's just utter chaos. You're down two technicians, three emergencies come walking through the door. It's total insanity all day long. You finally get done with like a 12, 13, 14 hour shift. You collapse into your chair in front of your computer. And that's when you discover that your bladder is the size of a basketball because you haven't freaking peed all day long, right? I mean, you're like physically depleted, emotionally obliterated. Like you're just done with this day. The thought of getting up from the chair and going to the bathroom is overwhelming. And then you look on your desk and you see there's like a stack of mail that somebody's dropped off. And the top thing is looks like a greeting card and you open it up. And sure enough, it's like a handwritten note of gratitude. Oh, there's your beautiful kitty. Oh, look. Look, we're the same. Look just alike. We're the same. Yeah, look. We're the sisters. Yeah. <laughs> so you open this card and you see it's a, like a beautifully written hand handwritten note of gratitude from one of your clients, like something you did for them last week that probably was, again, just the thing you do. It's just another day at the office, right? But it made a difference to them enough so that they went and bought a card, hand wrote a note and mailed it to you. So you've just had this horrible day, but now you read this card. How do you feel? You feel a little bit more awake, a little more alive, a little more energized, like maybe today was actually kind of worth it 
right? Mm. That's meaningfulness. That's what meaningfulness gives us. So all day you did very purposeful work. Veterinary medicine is incredibly purposeful work, but you didn't feel the purpose of it till mm. you read that card. That's just one way that meaningfulness can come alive. So we know that leaders, especially people in leadership position, have this unbelievable opportunity to enable and activate meaningfulness for people with very small little things. I mean, it doesn't really take like a major effort. We also know that one of the key drivers of meaningfulness is the experience of interpersonal mattering. So knowing that you're you're seen, you're valued, and that you're relied upon, you're needed in some way drives a large portion of that experience of meaningfulness. So the purpose pillar is about talking about some of the science behind that and teaching leaders, how do we just help people feel like they matter and what they do matters? Because the truth is, everybody that works around us matters and everything they do every day matters. And we know that mattering is a conduit to meaningfulness. So let's just start showing them. You uh, matter to me and here's why. This is, what you did today mattered and here's why. And then we can activate meaningfulness, which enlivens this experience of purpose. I really appreciate too how the work you do is just teaching people how to do it. Because we can grasp it up here, yeah, but it's yeah. getting it cognitively or intellectually is different than actually putting into action with your team. Now, for yeah. sake of time, let's go ahead and weave this into the next step, which would be the pillar of path. Path. So path for me is really about accomplishment and achievement. Um, this is driven in, in large part by that self-determination theory model, but also a little bit of PERMA, uh, the PERMA model for psychological well-being. You know, we know that one of, the, one of the greatest contributors to the experience of well-being is that I'm actually achieving something. I'm growing, I'm working towards mastery, you know, a little better version of myself today than it was yesterday. I just function now on the assumption that there's every single person that comes to work wants to achieve things. They want to do good work. Sometimes it doesn't look that way on the surface, but there's always something underneath that that's blocking it. It's not because they're an apathetic, lazy human being who doesn't give a shit, pardon my language. It's because there's something that's preventing them from opening that up in that environment. That, that's just how I view things. So path is about how do we carve a path that makes it maximally possible for them to achieve things in a way that's meaningful to them. So when I talk about path, I'm talking about the, the kind of the three special ingredients that make that maximally possible. Role clear clarity, autonomy, and resources. Uh, you know, really just having a, a good understanding of what's actually expected of me is an incredibly important thing. We talk a lot in VetMed about accountability. You know, we got to hold people accountable. You can't expect someone to be accountable to something that they don't know they were accountable for. You know, so we have to start with role clarity and like really good, vivid understanding. And that doesn't mean, well, I told you that. That means what did you hear me say? What did you take away from that? What do you think you're supposed to be doing today? What would you like to be doing today? You know, those kind, th that's where role clarity really comes from. The second thing is autonomy. No human being can thrive in an environment where they feel entirely coerced. There's not a person on the planet who really loves being micromanaged. That's because our no. core human need is to feel autonomous. Like every human being has to feel like they're somehow the captain of their own ship. So how do we give people a meaningful sense of control over how to achieve the expectations we've set for them? Mm -hmm. If you have role clarity, Crystal, this is what I need from you and this is when I need it done. Is that something you think you can achieve? Great. Awesome. I want you to know here are the tools that are available for you. I'm here to support you when you need it. Come to me with any questions. Now Crystal can feel empowered. Mm -hmm. And empowerment 
has to, uh, it, it, it is absolutely an antecedent Mm-hmm. to accountability. No one who feels disempowered is ever going to appear accountable to anything. We have to empower people to get to accountability. Of course, if I do that and then I disappear off the face of the earth and I don't have the you know the tools and resources in place for you to succeed, all motivation is gone. Mm-hmm. So we also have to make sure that those tools are available, both objective, the tangible things, right? You know, if I expect you to do 15 neuters in a day, I better have enough equipment for you to do 15 neuters in a day, probably enough support staff, the facility, you know, an anesthesia machine might help, all of these things, right? Those are the tangible objective things, but also the intangible, the subjective stuff. You know, it's good to know that you've got a team behind you that can support you and actually achieve that goal. Uh, it's good to know that if you stumble or fall, you know, I'm not going to come screaming and hollering at you or that you're going to, you know, you've got somebody to bounce ideas off of, you know, those are all resources too. So mm-hmm. when we've got role clarity, autonomy, meaningful control, and the resources, now you've got somebody who can fully feel empowered. They can take the path to success and achievement. Mm, I love this because I often see, and I bet you see this as well, that uh, in the veterinary profession, yeah, especially now, at least where I am here in California, but I, I know it's everywhere because I'm speaking with vets all over the country, that there's this real shortage in staff, doctors, technicians. And so sometimes a person is onboarded and is like, we don't even have time to train you. Just throw them yeah. the deep end. And then somehow through osmosis, they're learning. So yeah. I think that you highlighting this, the importance of path and really being able to nurture each person's um, understanding of their role, the support that they have, the area where they can be in control and have that autonomy will really help. Even those new hires really start on the right foot. Yeah. A hundred percent. I completely agree with you. I think you're spot on. Yeah. Interesting. And the last one would be, was it partnership? Partnership. Yeah. So partnership for me, I describe partnership as the connective tissue of the entire framework. And, and I really, I really hone in on that idea of connectedness here. Um, you know, as you know, all of us are hardwired for social connectedness. We, we need to feel some sense of inclusion, belonging, like we're a part of something. We matter to other human beings in meaningful ways. Um, in fact, that's so critical that, you know, I'm sure you've probably seen some of the fascinating like neuroscience research where you, you know, you put somebody in an fMRI machine. And you look at their brain activity and you make them feel a sense of rejection. Mm -hmm. And then you look at what happens in the brain and it looks exactly like physical pain. That's Mm -hmm. how important connectedness is. We also know that one of the the primary drivers of job satisfaction is how we rate the quality of the relationships we have at work. Mm-hmm. More so, some, some research suggests that that's actually more important than the work itself. That you can put another way, you can have two veterinary hospitals a mile apart from each other, the same community, same clientele, same services, same size of team, same, you know, kind of doctors doing all the same stuff. But in one of them, the team gets along really well. They feel a sense of connectedness and belonging. And the other one, it's every man for themselves or every woman for themselves, whatever it might be. People will rate job satisfaction significantly higher in that first hospital than the second one. That's because relationships matter in powerful ways. So if that's true, well, then how does the relationship we have with our leader or our boss matter? Well, some research, um, some really really neat research done by McKinsey suggests that um, 86% of the variance in how we score the quality of the relationships generally, globally, that we have at work, 86% of the variance in that score is determined by how we rate the quality of the relationship we have with our boss. So, so 
That's what partnership is. Partnership is about developing a high quality relationship with the people you intend to lead. No one will be at their best, do their best, or feel their best at work if they do not first feel like the person who is expecting things of them actually cares about them as a human being. That's solid. Thank you. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yes. And as a leader too, I can imagine listening to this and let's say I'm, I own a hospital or I am maybe the, the office manager of a hospital. I encounter a lot, this feeling of imposter syndrome. Like I'm in this position of authority, but sometimes I don't know what to do. And there's this overwhelming sense of uh, technical skills to learn. But what we forget is that what you're naming here is just that the personal part, this, the connection from the heart, being authentic, really being able to truly connect human to human that we're here to do some important work is so foundational. Uh, and it's something that I think is not, um, it's not top of mind. It's something that sort of hangs out in the background, but it's so fundamental. I, I completely agree. I, I will tell you, having spent the last few years just soaking in this material and talking about these things, I think this is probably, uh, for me, one of the more poignant ways than I can describe it. You know, you saw our cat. We also have two dogs plus a foster dog that we've got here right now. We've got three parrots. We keep bees. Like, hey, there's lots of animals here. Veterinary care is something that we have to pursue a lot. I will always, if I, if I have the choice, if there are two hospitals that I can bring one of my pets to, and one of them has the newest, latest, and greatest equipment, and all the best doctors with all of the letters behind their name, and the other one is an old rinky-dinky place, but that team actually cares about each other and gets along well, I will always take my animal to that hospital first because I guarantee you that they are doing significantly better work in a more meaningful and impactful way than, than the hospital with all the glitz and glam that nobody gets along. Oh, I hear you. It's, it's so important that feeling that you get, it's, it sounds woo, but it's a vibe. It's an energy. You can sense it when you walk into a facility. Now, what I want to do to bring this sort of full circle here, I'm thinking about how you develop this from your own evolution. You've been in the dark night. You've experienced yeah. with so many people that might be listening to this feeling mm-hmm. on the brink of depression, feeling on the brink of burnout or fully in it. Um, that, overwhelmed sense of, I don't even know how to, how to start. And from that, you took some time, you did some more education, you took a step back and then you developed this model. And here you are trying to bridge this gap. Say, Hey, you don't have to live that way. It can be better. You can be that team we were just describing where you love coming to work. You have purpose. It means something to you. You enjoy your, your work family, as I like to call it, Uh, that part of your pie chart is just very, very satisfying. With all of that, if you could go back in time and speak to that younger version of you who was in that burnout phase, any advice that you would give him or anything to help him hold on and get through? Yeah. Um, There's a statement that I sometimes use when I'm feeling a bit trite. (laughs) Um, I talk about this. I mean, I, so I, I wrote a book on this just to tell you like how, how deeply serious I take these things. Um, next year, AHA Press will be publishing my book on the four P's of positive leadership. It is currently in its current iteration, almost 350 pages of material. It's a lot of stuff. There's like, I don't know, maybe 200, uh, citations in there. There's, there's a whole bunch of material in there. So sometimes I'll joke with people and I say, you know, the truth is, is I don't really have to spend all the explaining this to you. The the foundation of the framework is two sentences. Other people matter. Leadership is relationships. That's it. 
You know, if I could go back to the me from 10 or 15 years ago when I was really just starting to get into hospital ownership and practice management and all of these kind of like higher level leadership positions, I would smack that guy upside the head and say, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what KPIs you track. It doesn't matter what kind of metrics or calculators or Excel spreadsheets. None of that matters in the long term as much as other people matter. Leadership is relationships. If you develop high quality relationships with the people around you and show them that they matter, they will do magical things and the outcomes will come. Wonderful. I'm uh, listening to a book right now, book on tape. It's B 2.0 by Jim. I'm looking at the book over there because I also have the print copy, uh, Jim Collins. I think that they're maybe Stanford. Uh, So these are the people that are so influential in the space of businesses and development of leadership capacities. And the book is so full of the importance of the connection and the relationship. It's B two point B E, and I think that stands for something like maybe beyond entrepreneurship or something okay. like that. But B two is the second version of this book, uh, and it's it's just beautifully done. I think that everybody's waking up to this concept; it's becoming more uh, mainstream. It's not new; it's been out there for a long time, but now. We're just starting to emphasize it more. I think it's gaining more and more visibility and traction thanks to people like you that are doing this work and getting out there and speaking at conferences, writing about it, making it more visible. I want to ask you one more rapid fire question before we wrap up today, if you don't mind, because I'm just burning with curiosity. For a guy like you that studies positive psychology and and focus on wellness and how to flourish, do you have any self-care like habits or routines to help keep you at your best? Yeah. So one of the, one of the lessons that I've learned over the past five years, which has been a a very fascinating experience for me, um, is that I, it is, it is 100% possible to, to work less and do more. So, um, I guess what I'm saying from that is that, uh, give yourself a break, set some real boundaries. Don't feel like you always have to be doing things. Um, we like, I'm, I'm actually incredibly proud of this. So I'm going to brag. I'm going to humble brag a little bit about it (laughs) on here. You know, I have this firm now, it's my company and we have employees now. And so now I have to be thinking about like a lot of the things that I, you know, profess and try and uh, encourage the community to embrace. And so this idea of wellness and well-being. And um, so what we decided to do when we, I've got uh, uh, an amazing, amazing human being, Tess. Uh, Tess did primarily on a contract basis for a little over a year. She did some administrative and sort of strategic work for me. She's now an employee. Tess Tess is the kind of person who any organization would be absolutely through the roof elated to have as their CEO. She's, I mean, she's really pretty amazing. So when we were talking about converting to W-2s and having payroll and bringing on employees and stuff, we talked a lot about things like, uh, you know, time off and that that's really important and something we struggle with in this profession, generally speaking, and we wanted to take it seriously. My first pitch was, well, why don't we do unlimited time off? You know, let's just trust adult human beings to take the time that they need and they can take as much as they want. They don't have to feel pigeonholed or limited. Conceptually, I thought, what a great idea. Tess showed me that actually a lot of the research suggests that in organizations that adopt an unlimited time off policy, people take less time off. Uh, And that's the exact opposite of what I wanted to see. So what we decided to do was have a standard PTO policy, but on top of it, uh, we're having two shutdown weeks. So next week, 
Flourish Veterinary Consulting will be shut down. Slack will be off. We will all have out of office. There is nothing on the calendar. None of us will be working. Anybody who contacts us will get a message that says, we take well-being seriously here. We think everybody should. Part of that is taking time away from work. And so we've closed down the company for the week. Everybody gets paid. Nobody's doing any work. Um, finding ways to do those kinds of things for myself over the last few years and now build it into the organization has really been life-changing. I got to tell you, I work fewer hours now overall than I ever did as a hospital owner. And I am way more productive and way happier. Oh, yeah. I agree with you a thousand percent. There's a, a consultant that I know who he does every third month off. And he, everybody wow. knows he's and it's taken time to get there, but he loves yeah. it. It's a whole month. He is completely MIA. You cannot reach this person. It's a beautiful thing. And I, yeah. I think that this is where coaches really shine is that learning how to make the list of stop doing, yeah. keep doing, and kind of tweak. And there's so much that can go on that stop doing list that really does not move anything forward, that is not as fulfilling and can delegate it out. That is critical. And I'd like to highlight a Hidden Brain episode that just came out. I love Hidden Brain. They recently... Yeah. <laughs> right? we're, so, we're such nerds. Yeah. <laughs> they just did an episode that was on doing less, like yeah. cutting things out, the art of, of, of less, because we usually think if there's a problem... What else, what more do I need to do to fix it? Or if I'm trying to improve this company's culture or whatever, more, 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 throwing the kitchen sink at it. Sometimes it's about eliminating things and doing less that is the best solution. So we can leave off on that note. I hope people can um, explore some of these concepts we've talked about today. You know, Josh, I, I feel like we could talk for hours on these topics. It's so yes. fun uh, seeing you, seeing your kitty and hearing more about your work. Do you mind telling us for those who want to get in touch with you or want to learn more, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah. So um, our website is super simple. It's just flourish.vet, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H dot vet. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, Flourish is also on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active personally on LinkedIn. Those are all great places to, uh, you know, to find more about what we do and the services we provide and how we support the community. Uh, and then I'm, I'm out on the speaking circuit constantly. So, you know, at, at most of the major conferences, uh, local and regional events, things like that too. Excellent. So now you all know how to reach Josh. Don't reach him next week because he's going to be out, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Josh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh my God. This has been delightful. I, your energy and verve is uh, inspiring and energizing. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that you feel stoked after listening to this episode. And as always, I would love to hear your comments and feedback. Is there a topic that you want to know more about? Please let me know. And thank you again for subscribing and sharing your favorite episodes with others. It really means a lot.